for those who have yet to have a formation experience, um, this is uh, designed for, what is it designed for? <laughs> um, theological discussion. So Michael is going to lead us uh, through a topic uh, tonight. Um, and what we try and do is keep it as much discussion-based um, as possible. Uh, and in that, people have the freedom to share their views, ask their questions um, as much as they like. Um, but if we would just be mindful to respect what other people are sharing, uh, what they have to say, and hold that in a, a safe and honourable context would be awesome. Uh, yeah, last last time was very interesting. So uh, this, um, I'm sure tonight will be as good. Uh, we are recording these sessions, so in the discussion time, we'll be handing the microphone around. So if you do have a question um, or a comment, then wait for the microphone just so we can all hear what's going on. Um, if you want to actually say your name as well, that would be handy so we know who um, is owning the question or the, uh, the comment. That would be good as well. I think that might be about it. Um, we do have dinner afterwards, so... Stick around for dinner, Mexican uh, chicken salad. So it's going to be delicious. And I think the thing with dinner, it's not just about filling our belly, but there will be a lot discussed tonight. Um, so it's got an opportunity to unpack that um, over food as well and, um, you know, hear what other people have to say in a more intimate setting um, across a bowl of Mexican salad. So, um, so stick around. Uh, there is a donation required for it. Um, pay what you think it's worth. Um, we could say $2, but that's way too cheap. Um, so don't be cheap. Be generous and pay what you think the dinner is worth. That would be awesome. All right. Uh, to start with, before Michael comes up, we're going to start with a prayer. So I will read it out first, and then I'll get you all to stand. Actually, you can all stand now. <clears throat> I'll read it out and then we'll all read it together and then I'll hand over to Michael. Okay. Do you want to pop that up, Esther? There it is. All right. <clears throat> May my mind come alive today to the invisible geography that invites me to new frontiers to break the dead shell of yesterday's to risk being disturbed and changed. May I have the courage today to live the life that I would love, to postpone my dream no longer, but to do at last what I came here for and waste my heart on fear no more. All right, so we're going to pray that together and then um, I'll hand over to Michael. All right, ready? May my mind come alive today to the invisible geography that invites me to new frontiers, to break the dead shell of yesterdays, to risk being disturbed and changed. May I have the courage today to live the life that I would love, to postpone my dream no longer, but to do at last what I came here for and waste my heart on fear no more. Amen. All right, over to you, Michael. Thanks, Clint. That's a potent wee way to kick off, isn't it? Um, that ups the bar a little bit. We've got to leave here uh, having lived our dreams. <laughs> nice to see you. Wonderful. Um, so as Clint mentioned, we uh, started a couple of weeks ago um, talking our way through this or, or kicking off a series that we've titled What on Earth Did Jesus Die For? Um, looking around the room, I'm, my guess is that some of you were here for that and some of you weren't. Um, basically, the, the, the aim of what we're trying to do is to get inside the story again uh, of Jesus. Um, that sits right at the heart of Christian faith and Christian tradition. Um, 
And in particular to do so, I guess, because there are some ways of talking about, in particular, Jesus' death and resurrection that have become a little obscure over time or have become um, lost in translation, we might say, um, have become problematic to some people. Um, What do we do with the events around the death and resurrection of Jesus? What does it really mean? Um, How do we cope with notions like sacrifice, um, execution, you know, a state execution that sits at the heart of the Christian religion? Um, What does that mean for us now, a long time later, still trying to follow this Jesus in some kind of way, um, but in a way that makes some sense to us um, and hopefully matters. So that's what we're trying to do, uh, to work our way through some of those ideas. And um, last time, we unpacked a couple of the the metaphors that have uh, stood at the heart of the Christian tradition in many respects, or have been, should I say, been prioritised at different points within the Christian tradition uh, in terms of understanding what it is that Jesus did at what we celebrate at Easter. So we can call it the, the Easter event, if you like, uh, at the cross. Um, these songs that we sing, the devotion that we pour out so often centre around this quite mysterious uh, and violent event. Uh, and so last time we talked a bit about the idea that, um, especially in the first few centuries of the church, it was the, the rescue, the ransom, the redemption, the liberation images that were most used by, by the church to try and understand and to grapple with what happens in, in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so uh, these metaphors of kind of the liberation of a slave were the ones that sometimes the New Testament writers used to try and capture the heart of this um, story and somehow how it impacts on us. And then later on in the church tradition, uh, what became much more prominent than that were the sacrifice images. Um, And in particular, that's kind of where we ended our time last time with these images of uh, a death of this innocent man uh, and the way in which at times in the Christian tradition that's been interpreted as what God required in order to um, be able to forgive us. Uh, so I guess the best versions of that way of thinking have at least kind of God offering this payment to himself in Jesus. Um, and, the, and, and at the worst, it's the sort of the father taking out his, his wrath on the son so that he doesn't have to take it out on us. Um, both notions have, have some question marks over them. And my suggestion is it's not, especially if you read the Gospels, if you sit, just sit down and read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, that's not what you get from them. Um, and it's certainly not what you get from the way in which Jesus behaves and speaks. It doesn't seem to be the way he goes around talking. Right? Um, before I forgive you, let me see some blood. Right. So... Um, so we talked a bit about that and those, those big images that, that sit, um, I guess, for, for many Christians still um, at the centre and, and along with that come certain notions of God and what God is like uh, and the fact that if God is a God who requires sort of the blood of innocent, uh, an innocent man to be able to forgive, then what does that say about the character of God and then that, what does that mean for us? And there are all sorts of implications that flow out of that. Uh, so what we suggested at the end of last time is that maybe... Uh, there are some more helpful ways, uh, some more healthy ways, some ways that require um, still a careful and faithful reading of Scripture and of the Christian story and of the history of the church, but maybe don't leave us in a place of deep anxiety about God and about what, um, what the story of Jesus is actually about. Cool? So... Um, <clears throat> Oh, there we are. That's the image slide. So last time uh, we talked about the metaphors of the atonement. Tonight is the circle of life. I'll just put those dates up there again for you so that you know where we're heading. Um, so in two weeks' time, we'll really bring the, we'll really lift the roof off this place uh, when we discuss God is dead. And um, I think 
um, both tonight and next time, what we are doing is is exploring the way in which the death and resurrection of Jesus in some way uh, is something we are invited into to participate with God in. There's this kind of mystical embodiment of this story that takes place within the Christian tradition. And then the next two sessions, um, in, at the end of May and into June, become much more about some of the political implications, if you like, if I can dare to use that word. Um, some of the implications for the way in which we think about um, violence and empire and even the notions of, of the gods who require sacrifice and all of that kind of stuff. So it's going to be some good fun. Uh, and I think what we want to do all the way along is keep bringing it back to is what does this actually mean for us? This, this is not just some exercise in abstract philosophizing, um, but relates very directly to what it means to be a human being in the 21st century in Aotearoa. Uh, so that's what we're trying to do. Um, both of the ideas that we discussed last time in some way have to do with payment. Jesus' death is a kind of um, payment either to secure our freedom or a payment to um, appease God's anger perhaps or justice. Um, but we want to approach it from a different angle over these next couple of weeks and see where that takes us. Um, I'm aware, probably, that at the end of each one of these, you may be left thinking, oh, but isn't it a bit more than that? Um, and the answer to that will, I think, always be yes. So if you feel that at the end, good. Um, because you can see even in the New Testament, that's, they're just, there's idea after idea, there's image after image, metaphor after metaphor of trying to grapple with what does this mean? What does this story mean for us? And it's bigger than our capacity to be able to summarise in a few slides on a Sunday evening. Otherwise, the Christian tradition would be much um, shorter and uh, succinct, more succinct. Um, right, so that's what we're going to do. Um, Hannah went away this week, my wife. That's my wife, just in case you're wondering. And uh, she took my iPad. So I'm like, I'm using paper. I know. Uh, so, oh, here we go. It's a bit more um, involved, isn't it? Paper. So, tonight we're talking about the circle of life. For those of you who are here on time, you were lucky enough to hear the uh, Elton John singing out across the room. Um, so we want to talk a bit about the, the death and resurrection of Jesus and how it relates to this kind of rhythm of life that we, that we live, uh, both as human beings and I, I guess as followers of Jesus as well. So we're going to do that in, a, in a two ways in particular. Uh, and in the first half tonight, I'm going to talk. Uh, and, well, we, we will talk. I will talk a bit because I already have. Uh, you will also talk a little bit too. Um, so in that first half, I, I want to focus in on what does it look like to sort of go on this journey with Jesus through death and resurrection? How does the New Testament talk a little bit about that and what does that invite us into? And in the second half, I'm, Linda's going to come up and we're going to have a bit of a conversation around um, how that might even be speaking to a more fundamental um, aspect of human experience and in fact, uh, the reality in which we live. So that's where we're going to go. It'll be fun. You right. Good. Okay, so um, so I want to start today with a with a couple of I think I've said I'm going to start today several times now, um, but we're still just starting. We're just moving through the gears uh, with a couple of passages from the New Testament. Um, but the idea, I guess, I want to start with is this idea that um, in some way one of if we if we re-look again at the early church and the way in which they tried to process what it was that had happened in this Jesus story. And if you think about the, the New Testament in terms of these Gospels which tell the story, and then there are all of these letters and writings to the church trying to figure out, well, how do we live given that the story has happened? Um, it's kind of what's going on in the New Testament, if you like. Um, and one of the things we see in the language 
uh, of the writers of the New Testament at times is this idea of Jesus' death and resurrection as like an archetype of the human journey of transformation. Uh, now, if I say this word archetype, um, what does that bring to mind? Anything? What, are people comfortable with the word archetype? Who would be like, yeah, I totally am all about what archetype is? A few, few nods, a few hands. Um, okay, someone who, who's, who just nodded or hand, hand raised. Would you mind um, telling us what archetype is? The, the ultimate version of a particular idea. Okay, cool. Yeah. Did you have something more to say, Kate? Like a kind of character type that's not stereotyped, so it's kind of a, a specific general thing, like as in this kind of, yeah, this like ideal type that has layers because it's not a, in that, in that way it's different from a stereotype. Yeah, yeah, good. Oh, Dietrich? Yeah, like a, a blueprint-type character person. All right. How are we feeling about those, that? Yeah? I think we're getting there, eh? Um, all of the above, yes. E or D, I mean, we had A, B, C, D, all of the above. Um, this idea that somehow what happens in Jesus is representative or in some way... Uh, speaks to something which sits deep within kind of human identity and the human reality, right? This um, stands as the symbol, in a sense, for something that we actually see play out in human experience. Um, there are all sorts of things we could say about it. I don't think the getting a pages-by-pages a pages definition of archetype is the point, other than just to say that in the way in which the New Testament writers speak about Jesus, and in particular speak about his death and resurrection, they do so about this story in this kind of way, that somehow this story represents something about fundamental reality and in fact represents something about the journey that we all go on in life if we want to enter into it. Um, so we're just going to explore that a little bit. So we're going to look at a couple of verses that are kind of quite well known within the Christian tradition, but we're going to think about them in terms of this rather than maybe the way that I grew up hearing them. Cool? All right. So let's start with this. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Um, now I think when I was growing up this was, just, this was about becoming a Christian that's what this was about um, converting to Christianity um, but I think and especially as I've gone back in later years and reread the New Testament that there's more going on here than just people talking about uh, what happens when you convert to Christianity and get saved right? um, so if we think about the death and resurrection of Jesus which is referred to here, we've both got death and life, new life. And somehow the Jesus story is tied into my experience and my story in this passage, in this verse. Um, what might this be inviting us into? What might be going on here? So what I'd love for us to do, to kick ourselves off um, with some discussion, is to talk to a couple of people around you and say, in light of that, what, what do you think is being talked about here? What might it have to do with you with Paul when he wrote it, um, what might be going on here? Is there a lot going on there, eh, guys, in this room with that verse? Uh, I think, and I think there's richness in, I mean, this would be a classic, if anyone does Enneagram, has anyone done Enneagram? My nine, peacemaker, mediator, so I'm just going to say, hey, you all had great things to say. <laughs> and I loved it all. Uh, no, no buts. I'm a nine. I love it. Let's just, let's just sit in the glory of how wonderful everybody is. Um, uh, <laughs> I think what's interesting to me about this and even what's coming out in some of the, you know, the different perspectives and different insights and different uh, thoughts that are, that are coming through and what we're saying is this is something that we are in some way invited to participate in. It is about 
our life and Christ and that somehow we too, like Christ, go through this journey of the laying down and of life coming. That as Jesus died and was raised, so we too walk this path of allowing ourselves to lay... We talk about this in Lent. If you've, if you've been around Edge for a while and, and done Lent with us, we often talk about what are, what are we... There is a laying down of things, whether we talk about that as ego, whether we talk about that as things that just need to be let go of. Uh, so we talk about it in that kind of way, this participating, this walking with, with Jesus, this seeing Jesus' story as this archetypal story of the human journey of transformation in some kind of way. Um, and yes, the, the passage in this particular context is Paul's wrestle with the law. He's writing to a church in Galatia and he's a bit upset because people have come into this church and I've said, and he, he's, he's quite angry actually in, in this letter um, because people are coming in and saying, you, no, you've even, you, you, think you, you, um, you think you don't have to live by the law anymore, but you do, you have to live by the law because that's the way that the people of God should live, and you must be circumcised. So there's a big debate in Galatians about circumcision, which, um, which for us is not a, a pressing issue, generally speaking, day to day in the life of our community. Um, and yet at play here is this, how, what does it mean to be, to, to walk in light of who God is and what, and what it means to be human in respect to that? And we are invited to somehow participate in this Christ mystery and to walk this path of transformation that is demonstrated in Christ. Um, there's lots more things I suppose we could say about. We used to sing a song about this. It always used to be a baptism song when I was a kid uh, by the banks of the river, the Tuki Tuki River down in the Hawke's Bay. Um, and just as they're coming out of the water, it was I no longer I that live in, but Christ that liveth in me. It's no longer I but live in a cross that liveth in me. He lives, he lives. Jesus is alive in me. No longer I but live in, but Christ that liveth in me. Um, what's going to be great on the recording there is the only thing that's going to come through is me. So uh, it's awesome. It's going to backfire. Uh, but I think for me, I, it was always this kind of, it was symbolised in that, but actually it was, you know, my mum always used to use this language. I remember she used to talk all the time about, if she was telling us a story about something naughty that she did in her life or something that maybe was on the list of things that Christians shouldn't do, she would always then finish the story with, but that was before I was a Christian. Um, as, as if this, you know, this, um, this getting saved moment somehow Everything old has now passed away, and I, you know, and I, and, and that's very much language that I that I kind of grew up with. And yet, my reality as I grew up was the realization that uh, all of the old bad things that have passed away um, have <laughs> come back. Uh, apparently, they were still there, uh, and my journey of transformation is still a wrestling with who I am, uh, and that if I feel like it's this whole kind of I can jettison that part of my life and reject it and just become this saint over here. Perhaps that's not what we're being invited into in this kind of passage, but some kind of mystical transformative journey um, where we walk alongside and with Christ. <sighs> you all right? All right, that's an interesting way to kick us off and, and get us going. Um, we're going to have a short break uh, for a couple of minutes, just for you to stretch. Remember that you're alive um, get a, uh, another glass of water if you need and we're going to come back soon with, uh, and have a conversation with Linda alright, thanks so I like this idea that somehow and in some way we are, we are being invited into this journey of transformation and that in some way Jesus' death and resurrection stands as this archetype or this, uh, this pattern of of transformation that we are drawn into and that as we enter into the, the Christ mystery, as we enter into this knowing of um, Christ, that we are invited into this participation. Uh, so rather than here thinking about Jesus' death as um, payment, uh, it's this invitation 
into some kind of journey, some kind of ongoing um, life of being transformed and of transforming. Uh, but there's also a bigger mystical idea, I think, present here too, that in Jesus somehow we, we see something that's embedded not just within the human story in particular, but in fact within a, a wider cosmic reality. In fact, the New Testament writers often make these connections somehow between Jesus um, and the whole cosmos in terms of its, um, its, its wrestling and in its transformation. Um, and so I'm going to ask Linda to come and join me up here. You all know Linda from such places as uh, Edge Kingsland. <laughs> and um, other things too, eh? You do other things other than come to Edge? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to start with this quote from, from Richard Raw as a kind of a framing for some of our discussion here. Uh, and I'm going to ask, did I make that difficult with the cord and the chair? Sorry about that. Um, use this quote from Richard Raw as a, as a framing for our conversation. Uh, I'm going to ask Linda a few questions and then we are, uh, depending on how we go for time, we'll, we can see what kind of discussion comes out of that. Uh, but here's Raw. Jesus' death and resurrection name and reveal what is happening everywhere and all the time in God and in everything God creates. Reality is always moving toward resurrection. So that's a little provocative idea just to frame up our conversation here. Um, so I wanted to talk to Linda in some ways because this, Linda is someone who I've probably heard speak around this and about this and allude to it in all sorts of different ways over the last few years more than anyone else perhaps. Um, it's, sorry, Greg. <laughs> he talks about other things more than anyone else. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did. Yeah, I would order Greg. <laughs> I'm submitting to my husband. No, it's, that's great. That's yeah. great. Um, okay, so here's, here's, our, here's our first question um, for Linda's thoughts that have been passed on to her from the patriarch. <laughs> Sorry, Katie, apologise. Um, how do you see the motif of death and resurrection play out in the natural world around us and what does that mean for you? Um, I think that I am one who has always naturally connected to the natural world to find my place in my understanding of who God is. Um, when I was younger and had first sort of come to the place of um, waking up to the idea of God as a being, um, which I would have called a born-again experience then in a, in a decision for Christ, <clears throat> um, I was already on the road before that to having an awareness of the natural world before I was introduced to the idea of God or the name of God. So it was... Um, I think that I, when I came into that framework of the church and more um, structured teaching around who God was, I, um, I've, I started to take scripture, like the scripture that we were reading before, literally, and trying to find the right thing to do and the right way to do it. And um, But I realised that it was like I was trying to put an outer authority first as opposed to an inner experience, whereas my first, first um, understanding of God came from experience with no outer authority. So my first encounter with God was all based on experience. And then outer authority, e.g. the text, which is awesome, came became a part of that and I tried to then turn my inner experience, almost I tried to turn away from that because it may not line up with my the outer authority. Does that make sense? <clears throat> um, that's just a little background. Um, so I'll find what I've written here. <clears throat> In my later years now, in my, um, and I've been walking in this kind of journey for most of my life, I think, um, it's, it's because that the death, it's because of death 
and resurrection that's played out in the natural world that I feel safer, if that makes sense. Because of a connection or an engagement with the natural world, um, where I see death and life regularly happening, for example, um, just in the, in the garden situation, where I see um, the death of a plant, which a spring bulb, which mortifies me because I think perhaps it's, dis it's disappearing into the earth and is gone forever. And if it's a treasured plant, um, something that I've bought from another uh, city or another place, I, get, I actually panic thinking it's gone forever, um, which might seem really silly. Um, I have some lily bulbs in my garden that come from my stepfather who, was, who died when he was 92 in Christchurch. And I treasure them like they are, they are life. They are life itself. So if we think about God as being infused into life itself, i.e. the ground of all being, it's easy for me to find God in the life of a bulb. So when it disappears into the when it flowers and it disappears back into the ground the way it's supposed to, and then it goes missing for four or five months, I find myself scratching the surface of the soil looking for it because I panic that it's dead. And if I lose it, it would be the worst thing. But inevitably, invariably, it does what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to die. For those of you that understand the garden, it's supposed to die. It's supposed to go back into itself, which is a bulb, because when it goes back into itself and, and all the greenery goes back into the soil and into the actual bulb, it doubles in size. Then it comes up the next season twice as big. That's death and resurrection. And when I experience that type of thing, I go, wow, God is alive in that space. Does that make sense? <clears throat> um, Richard Raw says, death is an imaginary loss of an imaginary self. And Francis of Assisi says, says, death does not threaten life. Death belongs to life. So we're talking about the cycle of life. The cycle of life, the cycle of death, the cycle of life the cycle of death. Things die and live, and they die and live. So I see my life like this, circular, cyclical, not linear, up, up and away. I go, I actually live and I die and I live and I die and I live and I die and I live. When I breathe my last, I'm still living, moving through that veil into the next space whatever that might look like. So death is not to be feared. And that's why Jesus died. So when we think about the scripture we just shared, I find myself moving from the reason that Jesus died wasn't so much to, for my, to take my sins as he died to show me that I could die. Then he lived to show me that I could live with my dying. Does that make sense? I'm not at all refuting this, the idea that of sin and Jesus, why Jesus died in that context, but I think it's more meaningful for me now to think, when I think about the death of Christ, I go, I'm more comforted by the fact that the death of Christ invites me to be safe with the concept that I also can die because in Jesus dying, Jesus lived, in my dying, I can live part of my cycle of life, not part of the trajectory from the beginning to the end. It's interesting, isn't it? Because this, um, it, it can almost seem a bit um, macabre <clears throat> to be talking about death so much, um, especially to be using death as, as, a, as a way of not just talking about the final death, if you like, um, which is difficult enough to think about for many people. But to be then using the very thing which for most people is the thing they're most anxious about underneath it all to then um, be our primary metaphor for the way we should live all the time. That's quite, um, 
quite a profound um, way of reflecting on the notion of death. Because what we're not saying here is that we literally are dying, dying all the time in the full sense of the, of the word, right? But, but somehow this image is capturing this ongoing cycle. And I don't think death is, death is not to be feared because Jesus died and rose. If, death, if Jesus hadn't risen, then death would be, to, would be a, a fearful thing. But death, you know how it says, death is where, death wears your sting, you know. It's kind of had this ta- the sting of the tail chopped off. Um, and I think this is why Jesus died, to show us that we can die and we can live. And that it's actually going to be okay. The other thing too is um, all around us in the in the world that we live in, in this world that we live, is um, we live by natural seasons. We every you know we we have um, twenty four hours in a day and seven days in a week and four weeks in a month and twelve months of a year and three sixty five days of a of a year you know and then we start again, and in all of those things there is a, there's a dying and a living. You know, the sun comes up, the sun comes up and goes down the moon, or we spin around, and they actually don't move, we always spin, around and around. Um, but we live in natural cycles, and these rhythms of life that are actually created by God to keep us in sync with the universe. So I remember, um, and this is, I'm not sure how you take this story, but even as a woman, um, as a, and you know, we're all adults here, so... Um, you know, for 40 years of my life, I have, I live with a cycle. You know, this cycle, which is a reproductive cycle. 40 years is a long time to have this cycle. Now, when, um, when I um, went into menopause, somebody said to me, Linda, your eggs have died. I'm like, that is so sad. Whoa, that is just huge. My eggs have died. And I stopped to grieve that sense. And then I had a choice. Okay, so my eggs have died, which means that I'm no longer reproductive, right? And then I could have seen that like this chasm of death and darkness and the end of all things, right? Because it is actually a really tricky time for those of you that have experienced it um, and for those of you that have watched um, but I, I had the, found this metaphor of a, a, of a bridge. And I'm like, something has died in me so something can live. And when I walk over this bridge, which is a hard bridge to walk over, I'm coming into something new, a new season of my life, which will bring me into a new playing field. That's death. That's life. And all through our natural lives, we are part of a natural cycle of of life in the world, and it's beautiful, and it should be celebrated and embraced, you know, and not to be feared, but to be um, cherished as a part of the way we have actually been put together, which is an amazing thing. It's um, just as you're speaking about that, it strikes me that I think our Western society in particular has just about almost entirely structured itself around the idea of avoiding having to, or trying to avoid facing the anxiety of loss or of death. Um, and even when you think about seasons, we now have food that's available all year round because we ship it in from everywhere we can so that we lose any sense of season and rhythm. Um, thanks to our kind of Western... Uh, platonic, patriarchal world, we find ourselves very disconnected from talking about what you were just talking about. Sorry, um, not on my no, notes. No, no, no. No, I think, um, <laughs> you know, that in, in non-Western cultures and indigenous cultures and, you know, and, and for Māori even within mm. New Zealand, you know, there, there is a much more comfortable language around, um, around death. There's much more... Um, that's not to say that it becomes this... It's not... To name it as this easy or, or trite thing, um, but I think Western society in particular has has almost ordered itself around trying to overcome the anxiety of loss. Um, and I think the death and resurrection of Jesus invites us to be able to let that go. Um, 
yeah. Mm. And I think, um, once again, in talking about experience, I don't think it's until we have an experience of loss that we can move into something new, you know, like a new playing field or a new invitation. Um, and I'm not wishing for any, any of us to have to go through seasons of loss, but the fact is we will, and we have to be able to live through deaths, or whatever that might mean. And it's when you live through a death, and, you know, many of you here probably have experienced great loss of and great sadness, but we only know what's on the other side of death when we've walked through it and then we come into a sense of life, then we have courage. And then any anxiety about death coming up, once we have experienced death, anxiety has a way of being minimised because we know we experienced a death, but we still lived through it. So our anxiety and our fear decreases. So I think that we can line that up with the Jesus story, that we saw that Jesus died, and we we. We know and we we see that he lived as well, and he lives. That's if we are image bearers, and we are created in the image of God, then that's our story too. You know, which I find very hopeful. Um, if I think about my garden experiences, I, I find them very hopeful. I'm, I'm given, I'm offered hope when I see things that I thought were dead, alive, alive even if they come up in a different form. Do you have the issue of your spring bulbs coming up in April? I it, do. Oh, okay. They're up good. now. It's just not. Yeah. yeah. But not, not those lilies. Not they just won't me. come to October. Okay. And I will stress. Because I'm like, you're supposed to still be in the Sweet, ground. Yeah. But they keep yeah. Climate change. That's it. That's it. Everything's crazy out there. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that was just a little personal <laughs> note. Um, <laughs> if we think about this, this image of death and resurrection still... Um, how does it help you to think about transformation in your own life and what transformation looks like then? It's kind of connected to what you're talking about. Well, I, I, f- I feel like transformation usually comes out of pain. It seems to me so far in my own walk that the hardest things that I go through or the darkest times, the most painful experiences are the ones that lead into some kind of transformation based on my honest embrace of them, which doesn't, which once again, you know, um, we could look at scripture that um, almost tells us to be strong and, you know, be, be strong for the Lord your God is with you, which is true. But you have to, we're, we're humans with emotions, we feel and we feel pain deeply. And I think the way, the path to transformation is, is the path of honesty and owning the way things really are at the time and sitting with them and not expecting them to pass quicker than they should, allowing these things to take their time. Um, Greg and I are heading up to a conference, in, um, a Richard Royal conference, and the, the name of it is The Path of Ascent. The path of descent is the path to ascent. Now, who would choose to go to a concert? I mean, to a um, conference that's called the path of a descent is the path of ascent. In other words, you've got to die before you live. You're going to die if you want to live. Down is the new up. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. It's true. So, but what I think when you've experienced something major in your life, and all of us will at some point. Every one of us will experience a death of some kind. It's not possible not to. Um, When you're young, it seems far away, and hopefully it stays far away. Uh, When young people experience death and tragedy and loss, it's harder because they're they're not. It's it's almost not wired for it. As you get older, you become to expect and experience loss. It's still painful, but it is. It's it's not. Um, unless you, unless we walk through death, we don't know what life means. We can't know what life means based on a scripture that says, "It's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me." You know, I die daily. I, you cannot know what that means unless you experience it. So, experience is our teacher. Experience should just confirm what those scriptures 
actually say. It's impossible to live a scripture fully without experience experience first. So um, I, for me now, experience as my guide. And then when I look at the scriptures that I that I love and live in, I go, there it is. And now I really know it because I've been invited into the space. Yeah. So I feel, I feel hopeful, even though I don't want to go through pain. It's not that, who wants to go through pain? But the fact is, it, those dark spaces bring us into light spaces, preparing us for the next dark space, which is the cycle, circle of life, you know. This is the worst. Um, no, it's so good. No, 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 it's so good. The reason I say that, I think, is because I would love for that not to be true. I would love for the answer to be we just keep going up and things get better and better. Uh, and I think sometimes what the church does is not want to have this conversation. So instead, that's what we sell people. Um, you just you do this and things will just go soaring high. You will soar on wings like eagles, run and not grow weary. Um, and it'll be amazing. Uh, and yet it's not honest. Right? And I think what we're talking about here is this invitation into um, reality mm. as, it, as it truly mm. is. I, um, I think just in my own life over the last few years, um, the way in which I have been um, what's the best way to say it without telling terrible stories? Uh, I think uh, it's amazing the way I have become kinder as a person through having to walk through death. Um, and I would love to say that I would have become that kind... I'm not trying to talk up my kindness, guys. Um, but I just know for myself that I am a much kinder person than I used to be. And I also know, as irritating it is, as it is, that I wouldn't have gone through that transformation if I hadn't also walked through the path of, of pain that I have been through for various reasons over the last few years. So I think um, it's a naming of reality. This is not like a go and seek out pain because it'll take you on the path to glory as much as it is. This is a naming of something that's fundamental about human experience and, and human reality that we see in our lives. I love that scripture. Um, have you not heard, do you not know the, you know, um, the everlasting God is the creator of the world. He does not get weary. He doesn't faint or tire. You know, Those who wait with, um, on the Lord will rise like with wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary, they'll walk and not grow faint. I love that. The thing is, it just doesn't happen today. And what I've learned is that I can have complete I have complete I have complete and utter trust in God with my life. I doubt and it's in my doubt that's honest that I learn that I have to wait. Those things will happen. There are situations where I feel like I'm flying on wings of eagles, you know. Wow. And, you know, it's amazing. But only sometimes. And not according to my timetable. And not when I think it should happen just because I quote the scripture. Because God is into us. Transform the path of transformation is long and slow. And, it's patient, and you, it requires patience and honesty. I do believe in transformation but I just don't believe that I can say when it's going to happen. I think that's arrogance. And unfortunately, I think we sometimes take scriptures and use them in an arrogant way, and then we try and tell somebody else how they should be based on that scripture as well. But we're not entering into their story or entering into their pain and walking patiently with them into a place of hope. So it's a long... Uh, Eugene Peterson wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's long. Just keep walking. Keep walking, keep trusting. Keep dying, keep living. And then one day, just we'll rise on wings of eagles. <laughs> you know, we'll, off we'll go. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> oh, that's a good spot to finish. <laughs> yes, there we go. Um, great. Do you want to stand?
I'm going to ask Linda to just pray for us to finish this evening and then Clint's just got a couple of things to, uh, to say before we eat. Lord, I thank you for entering into our into this physical, tangible world that we live in. I thank you, Jesus, for um, incarnating. I thank you, God, for incarnating. I thank you that you came and that you said, I'm going to show you how to be. I'm going to show you how to be human. I'm going to become human. I'm going to walk like you walk. I'm going to think like you think. I'm going to feel like you feel. I'm going to live like you live, and I'm going to die like you die. And I'm going to show you how to do it. And you can trust me because I'm doing it. And God, we trust you with our living. We trust you with our dying. We trust you with the situations that we find ourselves in. We thank you, Jesus, that you you died to show us that we are okay in our dying. You lived to show us that there is life after death and there is life after life. So... um, Would you help us to um, not to be afraid? Would you calm our fears? Would you release us from those anxieties? And would you help us to walk in hope and trust that actually you do know us and you do hold us and you walk with us? Perhaps you walk just a little bit in front of us. Help us to follow you, to keep our eyes on you and to trust you. Amen. We used to sing a song about this. It always used to be a baptism song when I was a kid uh, by the banks of the river, the Tuki Tuki River down on the Hawke's Bay. Um, and just as they're coming out of the water, it was like, no longer I that live in, but Christ that lives in me. No longer I but live in and Christ that lives in me. He lives, he lives. Jesus is alive in me. No longer I but live in, but Christ that lives in me.